0: money 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 more money more problems this is where we talk about everything you need and want to know about finances goals relationships and how they all tie together you are now listening to the two cents money podcast enjoy Hey guys welcome to the two cents money podcast where we give our two cents on your two cents so today we have a phenomenal um, episode for you guys and um, I want to give you a little insight before we kind of jump in and I introduce my special guest so today we're gonna hit the topic that um i don't know about you guys but i've been hearing a lot of talk um, a lot of news articles funny thing is uh actually two days ago bloomberg just wrote an article um about it so today we're going to talk about the wealth gap amongst minorities in america it's a huge topic Uh, a lot of people don't tend to dive into it but i think it's something that is a harsh reality that we kind of have to look in the face and say hey it's time to talk about it, it's time to address it and what can we do to fix it. We have to close that gap. So today I have a wonderful uh guest who I've had the pleasure of knowing for about a year or two now since joining um her Facebook group. And I have Gemma Givens. She's the founder of Next Generation Guatemala. Um and Gemma, if you wanna kinda take the floor, introduce yourself, tell our listeners, you know. Who do we have the pleasure of having today?
1: Hi, Steph, and thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited um, to get into this topic with you because just as you asked, I was talking to a friend and my roommate about, um, have you, did you, so for for context to to back up, I um, live in Berkeley and I work at the university here and my roommate was a business major and I asked him, like, was this something you covered in in your classes at Haas? Like, did you talk about the wealth gap or mm-hmm. um, minorities in, in finance? and finance? And he was like, no, no, I, I no, nope, never really came up. I mean, you'd have to kind of look for that in other departments, but uh, it didn't come up for for me. And he studied business. And as a person of color, I would think that if I were going into a business myself, I would want to know these things because i would want to know what is um stacked in or against my favor uh as i make so that i can make the most informed decisions not only as a business person but just as a person you know living in the united states and and um building their building their financial wellness their their um profile their financial profile um so it's a really important topic for uh, our community, especially.
0: Definitely. Well, we're excited to have you. Um, I know you do a lot for um, and everybody who is a part of your um, Facebook group. And for those of you who don't know, Next Generation Guatemala, um, Gemma and I actually have a huge thing in common, which is how we came into contact. And I will tell you something. I am forever grateful for her organization that she uh, started, because I am also an adoptee from Latin America from you guessed it, Guatemala. And I think when you're adopted, and you're trying to find some peace within yourself to try and find some uh, somebody to not just look up to, but like compare yourself to and see like, who do I relate to? And thankfully Google led me to next generation Guatemala and from there it was like it was just amazing you know and I and Gemma's done a lot of great things for the adopted community and it's just it's it's amazing so talking about finances I think we're going to have a lot in common and it's going to be a great episode because uh, we have a lot of substance we have a lot of substance to cover and um like i said let's just get into it so the minority wealth gap in america um so right now we're going to focus on some facts some numbers some statistics some of the hard stuff because this is this is important right when we want to get people's attention you want to have a conversation starter you always want to bring facts to the table you know yeah we have opinions yeah we have our emotions involved but when you look at the hardcore facts and numbers, numbers don't lie. They don't lie. They, they come from some type of reporting that, whether it's the federal government, local government, organizations that do research, take the time to dig deep and look at um, what, what these numbers are. Where are they coming from? So when it comes to the wealth gap, especially amongst, um, you know, the white community, Caucasians, hispanics and blacks for example the the gap when it comes to median wealth and when we talk about wealth we talk about you know do you have assets you know do you own a home do you have a savings account or is it all debt for example so the median wealth for example of um for blacks under the age of 35 is just under $6,000 now, when you switch that over and talk about the median wealth for Hispanics, same age group, um, under the age of 35, it jumps up a little bit to 11200 When you talk about the median wealth for Car- Caucasians in that same exact age group, it goes to 25400 Now, mind you, those three numbers are very low overall, but you also have to think about it too. Under age 35, how much do you really have accumulated unless you've been one of the 10% of people in that age group that probably had some sort of inheritance uh, from families or you know, you won the lotto, something like that. So this is median. So this is average we're talking about. Now, this number, I will tell you, takes an alarming jump when when we talk about that next age group of 55 and over. So when we talk about that 55 and over, so these are the people that, um, you know, are starting to think about retirement. They're starting to think about, all right, how do I get myself situated in order? Maybe my spouse and I, all of our kids have finally moved out. Now we have a life to focus on for ourselves. We're going to retire in Florida. What are we going to do? So for, for, um, blacks, the median wealth. Now, with anybody over age 55, suddenly um, it becomes 53,800. So yeah, okay, that's significantly higher than under age 35, but let's continue. So for Hispanics over 55, now that jumps to 111,500. For Caucasians, Now it jumps to 315,000. That is a huge gap. And that's not to say that one group is better than the other. One's got to do this and one's got to do that in order to get there. Again, we're just talking facts. Um, I don't have any persuaded opinion about who does what and why. But we have to look at the facts in order to make some changes so everybody can... Um, kind of adjust accordingly and, and you know, create a, a path for themselves, a wealth path for their families and loved ones. And to take a look at that and say, wow, you know, you have white families who, again, this is the median wealth for over 55, 315,000 compared, compared to Hispanics and blacks who of that same age group, 111,000 and 53,000. That's, that's, that's more than half that's that's crazy and again inheritances uh family support of course all this can contribute to that but then that makes me wonder well obviously we're doing something wrong in our minority communities are we not supporting each other enough um you know maybe we need to tweak the way that we do things we have to adjust all right if we're going to save money are we going to open a trust or you know take the time to learn or reach out to a professional to learn about that so we can leave leave a uh, wealth for our kids for our grandkids and so forth and then also home ownership home ownership is huge so home ownership 73% of middle-aged caucasian families own their home so let that sink in 73%. That's a great number. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal for any group of, of individuals and families to be able to have the opportunity to own their home. But now we have to compare that to only 51% of black families owning their home. Again, this is middle-aged. And then also we compare that to uh, 58% of uh, Hispanic families. So that's a pretty big difference. And I'm sorry, that was 53%, not 58. So 73% of Caucasians, 51% of Black families, and 53% of Hispanics. Now again, once we reach the threshold of ages over 55, now the ballpark just grows. So 82% of Caucasian families over 55 own their home, compared to 58% of black families and 61% of Hispanic families. So just doing the simple math between Hispanic families and Caucasian families in that over 55 age group, there's about a 20% difference. 20% compared to the millions of people that live in this country, that's a huge number, and we have to do something about that. So, you know my my biggest question in general I don't know if you have any um uh, anything you want to add on to this, but could this be could there be a tie to generational wealth and is it maybe something that minority groups like Latinos like hispanics um overall just lack you know like what are
1: your what are your thoughts? It's a good question i think um in particular for our Community of adoptees. It's a really good entry point to to see how that changes because we were born to a really specific um, socioeconomic place in Guatemala, and um, compared to what we were. I don't. I, I want to use this word. I want to choose the right word here because I don't want um, to say like toxic gratitude or anything. But the the what we were. Given I guess through being adopted, um, you you kind of we, in, we inherit a completely different perspective on financial literacy on, on every sense of the word because we we are literally adopted into a different family and um, yes inherit whatever their mindset is um, So what I'm interested in is is where, where the education that we're given as adoptees meets um, the ch- the unique the challenges unique to Hispanic and Latino communities in the United States are they the same? You know, do they meet? Do they? Are we on completely different pages? That's mm-hmm. what I think is really interesting um, on this topic as it relates to us because I think there is um, there is a disconnect, and it's yes. because a lot of us are inheriting, you know, the, the legacy of the, the the Caucasian statistics that you shared, you know, and, but we are still Latin American people, you know, so then what is the disconnect? Um, And maybe education is a part, is a part of that answer.
0: So, you know, I want to touch on something that you just mentioned, financial literacy, because that's, That's a huge, huge part of everything that we're talking about, right? So I want want you to hear some statistics as far as Hispanics, because obviously, like you said, we are Latin American ourselves. The median income in 2017 for Latino households was $49,793. That's about 20% less than what the national median was in 2017, which was 60,336. So again, um, and this is just again, now we're just kind of shifting gears here and talking a little bit more about the Hispanic community a little bit, but that's a huge jump. You know, Hispanic families on the average couldn't even reach the national average and national average considers Everybody, you know, you're talking about Asians, whites, blacks, everybody. Um, so there's something there's something wrong there, you know. There's something that we're lacking that we're missing in the Hispanic community, and it's important to recognize that because as you and I, we're both entrepreneurs, we have followings on social media, um, you know, we're both passionate about certain things, so just naturally people look to us as Latina um, businesswomen, right? So, you know, does it take people like you and I and others to kind of join in and kind of create this coalition? Like, hey, look, we have to change something. Something has to change. Like they always say, you don't change something if it's not broken. But something is broken, evidently. Like the, the, the proof... The statistics, everything shows us that something is wrong here. And you know, going into financial literacy, I don't know about you, but I was never taught anything about financial literacy. Um, were you know, were you ever taught that, whether it was in school or at home? Um, like, did anybody ever talk to you about financial uh, literacy or education?
1: I think that's a really important point to make there before even um, the educational part, but awareness of anything being wrong or out of place. Um, So my background, I would describe as passive about um, finance, I would describe it the way I would describe like, someone who doesn't really go to the gym, you know, there, I don't, I don't weigh 600 pounds, so I don't have a huge problem. But you know, if mm-hmm. I don't go to the gym, then you know, you don't get more fit and um, yes. feel stronger or feel better about yourself. But if you're okay with sort of the status quo, like meh, no one's dying, so meh. I, I mm-hmm. feel like that was how I would describe our um, our the mindset I grew up with around money. But the 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 privilege of being able to. to to be passive about money implies that we were okay. It, there wasn't um, panic at the end of the month or in the middle of the month, like, oh my gosh, how are we gonna make the bills? How are we gonna yeah. survive? So, so it's a privilege to, to own that mindset even to be unfit, but not be, um, like not be disciplined. And- yeah, yeah. So I, I wasn't disciplined about money growing up. Um, but now that I'm, you know, an adult and in charge of my own money, um, that was something that occurred to me a little later, like in my mid twenties, like, "Mm, I'm spending all of my paycheck. I'm not saving. I'm not, maybe I should uh, look at that, you know, but, um, (laughs) you're right. (laughs) So, um, I, it's a privilege to, to say I didn't have a plan for a long time, but, um, I, I think the awareness is is more of like a fire to your to your hair you know when uh when when you do have more things to consider like let's say if i had children or if i um mm-hmm. was taking care of my family if my family required me to take care of them if they needed money from me you know there's there's a lot of social social uh, considerations to take uh, particularly with the the Latin American community in general, um, that I think, you know, being lifted out of that and, and put into a white family, you know, like none of my family needs me financially. We don't all live together. Um, there's a lot of disconnect between um, how I, I, I feel like I both do and don't factor into the definition of of Latin American, which is so weird, you know, it's like a daily uh, check on myself, like, do I count in this moment? Or do I not? You know? (laughs) So uh, yes, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, in terms of what I was taught, uh, growing up, I, I would say passive. Okay. Yeah,
0: honestly, when I take a step back, and I think about me, Um, and you know, my upbringing and my childhood and my family life. So I was adopted into, um, a blended family. So my adopted mother, um, she's Caucasian, Polish to be exact. And my father was actually from Guatemala. So it's, gosh, I got, I got lucky in a sense. And I have to say, like, I'm always going to be blessed forever, um, but at the same time, it's like I almost always felt like I lived in a primarily uh, white home just for the simple fact that I i guess just the routine that my parents had, you know, we didn't really speak Spanish at home. The only time I ever spoke Spanish was like when my grandma came around or, you know, cousins and stuff from my father's side. So. I always just felt like you know, I, essentially, I'm just living in um, a, a white household because the Spanish culture wasn't always in the mix. So, and some people are like, what, "How is that possible? Like, you should be completely fluent in Spanish." I'm like, "Uh, oh, no, not 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 necessarily. I mean, I, I I know Spanish. I can hold a fairly good conversation, but it's just tough because I feel like." As adoptees, we're held to this standard. And uh, it's it's tough. But with financial literacy, I mean, I saw my parents, how well they worked, and um, always such hardworking people from the time I can remember, even up till now. Um, you know, my mom and dad would pick extra shifts, or especially my dad, work overnight. So, like, I always saw the... The work ethics part of the, how do I say, like the culture that they brought in to the house. But I never was really exposed to, hey, you got to save your money or you got to do this, you got to do that. My mom, you know, because she primarily would run the the finances for the household. She was a stickler. She's, She's always a stickler. She always will be, still is to this day. You know, it's going to thrift shops. It's going to the clearance rack at the store. Um, you know, she, I, I'm not going to say she's cheap, but she loves to uh, kind of just not spend above yeah. her means. Yes, yeah. yeah. Like, that's how she is. And I think that part trickled down to me because people all the time, even now, they'll be like, wow, like, damn, girl, like, where'd you find that shirt? I'm like, Ugh. Target clearance rack, yes, ninety nine. Yes, <laughs> you know, and they'll be like, the clearance rack. <laughs> uh, yeah, if I pay over twenty dollars, um, on a shirt, like I'm ready to just scream, like and punch myself. Why did I do that? But that's just something that my mom just instilled in me. Like I can't. Like that's something that I'm forever grateful for. But other than that, I mean, I. I got my first credit card, I think, when I was like 19. And that's another problem. In this country, these creditors take advantage of it. Oh my gosh. Us. Yes, dude. It's like they just want to send, 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 send. And it's like by the time you know it, by the time you're 20, you got like 50 different credit card offers in the mail. Like, oh, Citibank wants you, Capital One. Well, wow, welcome to BBT or your local credit union. It's like. Whoa! Let's pump the brakes. So I completely slaughtered my credit when I was in my early twenties. Um, not just with credit, uh, not just with credit cards. Student loans. Forget oh yeah. The student loans. Student loans. Uh, that needs to be a hotter topic in this country than it's even discussed because it's absolutely heart wrenching the amount of student loan debt that that people from not just our generation, but younger, are stuck in. And it's like we're stuck. Like, it's almost like we're stuck in mud. You're trying to climb out. You can't come out. And it's like you're, you're stuck in this puddle. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, I, I feel like I'm drowning, but then I'm, I'm okay. Then, they, then they, they pause payments for a little while. So you think you're breathing again. But then reality smacks you in your face again. It's like this never-ending student loan crisis. And that's amongst everybody, not even just minorities, everybody. But it's just, it's sad. So back to financial literacy, I would say I didn't really learn about financial literacy and in school either. And that's something that I absolutely despise about our educational system. In order for kids to graduate high school, we need to teach them about personal finance. How is it okay in this country to allow our children once they turn 18 Mind you, they can't even drink alcohol legally till the age of 21, but we're allowing them to sign sign on the dotted line for a student loan as soon as they turn 18. Right. For a $50,000 loan for, for the next four years. That's crazy to me.
1: To like, now, to not I, know your major either. Like, yeah.
0: I don't know what I'm going to study. <laughs> I'm just going you know? to go for the experience.
1: <laughs> right. And then
0: four years later, you're like, oh wait, let's start this over again. But I'm like, uh, now you have a hundred thousand dollars in loans, and ah, oh, it's not really about the experience anymore because those loans are going to smack you in your face. I was so and ignorant. That's what happened to me too.
1: Yeah, I was so ignorant. I don't know what I thought. I I wasn't thinking. I you know my mom was helping me. You know she got the parent loan or the parent some grant or whatever. And the parent I, plus loan. Yeah. Yeah, and I um I didn't think twice about that. I just assumed like oh that means my mom is taking care of it <laughs> and then she's like no i just paid my part now the rest is you." and you open it i i think i opened it for the first time or something when i graduated and i'll never forget stephanie i'll never forget the note they're like even if you weren't fully satisfied with your experience you still owe us you know mm-hmm. x amount of money and oh, i was like yes. wait but i didn't even fully commit to my major until like the My last year, (laughs) I wasn't even super excited about that. And I I was so ignorant. So I fully agree. Like financial education is should be a mandatory high school experience. You know, it's just. And I think
0: only like six or seven states in this country actually mandate that high school seniors take a class before they graduate. Wow. That's insane. Like for the like for any reason I could even think of there's no good reason for it to not be mandated you know I get it teachers are overworked let's come up with a solution um, I am creating my nonprofit to be able to teach right let pay me to create a curriculum you know or pay local organizations to create a curriculum and let's somehow do it over zoom because zoom is now huge um, let's let's create something where it's going to be cost-effective and allow these kids to be able to leave high school graduate and actually be able to have the ability to make a sound decision when it comes to money
1: yeah because um without it in a school setting it just falls back onto the luck of whoever your parents are and whether they are edu- financially educated and can yes. pass Something onto you, and that's where you get. I feel like the disparity between cultures, between ethnicities, between people acro- across the spectrum of like who who yes. inherits that education and from their family, who doesn't, why? You know, I'm gonna. So, ooh, a few years ago,
0: I went to a local elementary school, and I will never. Forget this experience. So I used to go to some of the local elementary schools middle schools and high schools To teach about like needs versus wants, which is huge when you talk about financial education um, Because that's basically one of the basics if you don't know Needs versus wants uh, you're never going to truly understand should I buy this or can I wait? Do I need this or do I just want this to have it? and so I used to teach that stuff to elementary school kids and I think this class was second yeah it was second graders and we were talking about needs versus wants and um, I put up something on the projection screen about a little boy who was saving money and it it gives you like a little comedic twist to it because the little boy was like digging his money like he was he was digging little holes in his backyard to save his money so his dog and nobody else could find it and it was it was a cute story so then at the end you know we're having like a nice open discussion the kids are asking questions and they're really engaged and i loved it and You know, um, somebody had asked about, like, a debit card because they see their parents having a card. They're like, oh, yeah, you can have money on your card, right? And then this little boy raises his hand. And I'm like, yeah, sure. What's your question? And he's like, well, I just want to say, I don't know about a debit card, but I know my mom has a food stamps card. And, like, my heart just sank. And I'm just like, okay. Like, take a deep breath. Like, how do you respond? Because that's his reality, right? Um, No judgment whatsoever, because food stamps is a great program as long as it's, you know, for those who really need it. And that's what it's there for. But it broke my heart because I'm like, here we are talking about money. And the only thing that this little boy could relate money to is, yeah, you know, my mom has a food stamps card. And I'm just like, wow, we need to do better we need to do better like it's not a i want society to do better no we need this for our kids our kids kids everybody you know and it's essentially not even just important for children our age group um people older than us like i talk to my husband about this all the time you have a lot of minority um elderly who they have nothing to show for. You know, if it's not for their little, measly social security check that they're getting, that could be, you know, $400, $600, less than $1,000, which, by the way, folks, if you're listening, take a step back and think to yourself, what in the world can you afford on a monthly basis for less than $1,000? Nothing. You know, average rent can range from 800 to 1700 dollars, depending on where you live in the country so it's like financial literacy isn't just for one demographic over the other or one age group over the other this is a problem in society overall no matter where you're from where you live how old you are we need to stop the bleeding no more band-aids band-aids are no longer working we need to take you to triage we got to figure out what's going on and we got to see what specialist you got to go to because this is This is beyond that now. Band-Aids won't work for this anymore. So, you know, I look back and think and reflect and uh, I'm going to ask you too about this. Do you think anything in your life financially from, you know, as you were younger to now, do you think anything would have changed or improved or even been worse? Had you been exposed to more financial literacy or more financial education, growing up whether it's at home or at school like do you think anything would have altered your situation now you are now listening to the two cents money podcast make sure to follow us on spotify apple iheart radio and all major platforms so you can stay up to date with our new episodes subscribe to our blog at two centsmoneycom for all of the latest updates and to get in touch with us for one-on-one financial coaching. Now, back to the show. Do you think anything would have changed or improved or even been worse had you been exposed to more financial literacy or more financial education growing up, whether it's at home Or at school, like, do you think anything would have altered your situation now?
1: I think what's most important is is coming to that awareness um, that I would like to learn how to manage my money better or manage it at all. You know, Um, yes. One thing I wanted to say, although it's neither really here or there, but like, if you go to cities where that are that are largely like minority population, that that live in there, you you'll also see so many predatory lending um, setups, like check into cash or like um, uh, you know what you know what I mean. Like I need your payday mm-hmm. loan check or whatever, and with yeah. and people don't understand what what high interest rates mean for them and how it, how it's terrible stuff. But then you go to like affluent neighborhoods and. Um, you don't see any of those things like because it's it's not assumed that anybody yep. in particular neighborhoods need um, assistance before payday kind of thing and so those that's why the awareness is key and then the education is key um i it's intimidating it's it it was intimidating for me cuz i i was never good at math and i do not enjoy math that is not where i uh, <laughs> feel feel most you <laughs> know um but once I really sat down, you know, cause people would ask like, hey, have you thought about your retirement? Do you, do you live on a budget? And so I'm like, I don't know. But once you really sit down with the numbers, it's it can be really basic arithmetic, like yes. plus and minus, and that's not so scary. Um, what's, what's hard about it, I think, is just the discipline. It's like going to the gym or eating right, you know, but um, it's, well, I wanna, I want this amount for my retirement. So, what do I need to do now to get there? And once you parse it out, once you break down the, your own numbers, um, mm-hmm. it's not so bad. But again, it's that awareness that I think is missing in our communities and yes. add on to that the education.
0: You know, I want to tack on to what you said, though, because I'm actually glad you mentioned that. As far as. Um, predatory lending in um, majority of minority based communities um, because unfortunately you tend to see more minorities when it's more of an impoverished community and that's just it it's it's really unfortunate but that's kind of the facts that we face in this country and because if you take a look at a lot of our major cities a lot of a lot of our major cities it's like You suddenly hit a divide. You either have the high-rises and um, these expensive penthouse area neighborhoods, then you have the other side of the the city, where you have everybody crammed into housing. Um, These, you know, big apartment buildings that, you know, are kind of like, I don't want to say like broken down, but you can tell it's definitely a different demographic. And from the food stores to the the banks that are are around is night and day you know you go from having McDonald's and Burger King and Popeye's on every corner on one side and you have the nice fancy restaurants on the other side it's totally two different worlds and that's not right and when it comes to having the opportunity or fair equal opportunity to not not non-predatory loans and and fair banking there's a there's something called the Community Reinvestment Act or a lot of uh, bankers and lenders know it as CRA so it really comes into play when a financial institution mostly banks credit unions I don't believe have to uh, really kind of abide by it but banks actually have to abide by it. And what the Community Reinvestment Act does is it tells a certain bank, like Gemma Givens Bank, right, that they have to at least put a certain amount of branches in certain areas Hmm. so people have access to banking. And if not, you know, they can pay some penalties or whatever. But some of those... Some of those laws, I would say, or um, just different things from the federal government do exist, but I don't think they're enough because there's still so many underserved uh, people, groups of people. And by underserved, I mean there could be uh, there could be financial institutions in their area, so banks or whatever, but they're not they're not going into those banks and we have to find out why Is are they having a hard time trusting a specific brick and mortar institution you know have you had bad experiences as a minority you know maybe you keep getting rejected for loans and you're like you know what I don't know what's going on are they being discriminatory or are they just you know their their standards are just too high that I feel like I'm never going to get approved there so why am i going to even put my paycheck there hmm. or is it just misinformation all the way around you know because like you said everywhere you go on every corner you go to one of these cities and that's my minority um centric minority based all you see is cash your check here you know um you the, all the payday loans um what was another one i saw i was in another city a few weeks ago and i'm like oh there we go um like pawn shops pawn shops is huge you know hey yeah give me give me your gold or give me your necklace and i'll I'll give you some money for it which is in in no way shape or form anything close to what it's worth but it's like a lot of these these companies try and find any way to incentivize hey let, let me give you some money and it's like yeah, but you, you're either I'm either giving you a, a necklace that you're only gonna give me like twenty percent of what it's worth, or I'm gonna get a loan through you, and my loan rate is gonna be thirty five percent. Right. Which the average Joe Schmo is getting a loan for what maybe ten percent if it's a personal loan. That that's a loan shark. That's that's insane. But it's like that's the options that are that are made available. So I feel like it's a trust thing, too, because a lot of us minorities just don't trust the system, but something has to change. And again, I think that has to be um, more of an educational piece because we have to educate everybody that, hey, yeah, you can use a bank, but here's how to make your banking relationship work for you. Don't let them sell you everything. Don't let them pull your credit every time you walk through the door. That's only going to make it worse. So, you know, now that I actually mentioned credit, accessi- accessibility to credit and loans um, as a minority, have you ever faced any challenges? Have you maybe heard of others um, that you may personally know that have faced any any challenges or anything when it comes to that?
1: What kind of challenges? Like, uh, ability to open a credit card or...?
0: Yeah, um, it could be that. Um, And it doesn't even have to be challenges. It could be anything,
1: really. I, not so far. I mean, that said, I haven't tried to buy a home yet. And it'd be interesting what that experience is like. I was talking about this with um, my roommate just last night because there's a a place for sale down the block and it's it's just like the one we live in. And I was just asking him, like, oh, what do you think? Like, is it worth it? Because we're so close to the university and... um, But um, no, I, so far I haven't, I've, I've, I'm with a local bank, um, Mm -hmm. so not like a big name one, and I've been with them since I was 15 and um, haven't really gone outside of them for, well, that's not entirely true, but in terms of like trying to get a personal loan or Mm -hmm. open a line of credit or anything, I haven't felt um, challenged there. Okay, that's good.
0: Yeah, and you know what? What I've noticed, and especially like in my banking career too, is that when you tend to stick to community banks and community credit unions, their structure and their guidelines are so much more simpler, and uh, so much more like user friendly, I guess you could say, um, than the big national banks that you see in like every corner of the state. Um, you know, they're predominantly more about the people and who they serve, compared to like you know a big national bank. They might just have a set of standards. They might tweak a few products and services depending on the region of the country but for the most part, they're pretty black and white, so they're gonna stick to whatever it is. Um, And I've worked in both, and I have seen a huge difference working at the community-based credit union and community-based banks compared to the um, national-sized ones. There is a huge difference. You know, at some of the branches that I used to work at and some of the banks I was at, there would be like a 90 percent decline rate in loan applications Mm. and in that area was predominantly minority so i took a step back and i'm like there's a problem here because a lot of our credit scores are lower um you know amongst hispanics and blacks our credit scores you know we're the ones always seeking credit repair we're the ones that have the lower scores we have more problems um, obtaining loans and credit because we don't meet that standard. We don't we don't meet the guidelines that many banks have. So that's where I say the challenge part because I feel like again this ties back to education, the financial literacy part. Um, we can't expect people to you know want to go buy a home like you said, right? but they have a 400 credit score and maybe it's because they don't, they don't really know what it entails to start the home buying process. You know, and that might not be of any fault of their own. It's just a simple fact that maybe they just never learned. They never, they, never, they were yeah. never taught that. So that's where I say the challenge piece of credit because so many of us wanna, wanna shoot for that, that American dream that people always used to talk about but there's a lot of things that you have to do to be able to kind of reach that in a sense and the educational piece is huge and it's something that we lack and I will forever um, you know stand by that statement where I feel like we need to do better as a community as a society to to teach people because this it's not it's not good, you know, um, the only way we're going to get those home ownership levels up, like we talked about in the beginning of the episode, is we got to teach people about, you know, saving up your money, saving up for that down payment, uh, you know, staying committed, no late payments, working on your credit to get to that pre-approval process to buy a home. Without that, that number is not going to go up much because we're not we're not working on the right things. And I feel like this is this is a good starting point to talk to anybody that we know because that's the only way word of mouth will always be the best way to communicate things because there's so much different type of information out there, but it's always like you do I trust it, you know, is this source something that I can go by and what better way than to hear it from people that you truly trust and, and, and know yourself so you know just to kind of tie back to us a little bit so any like personal experiences anything that any stories even that maybe you have that you would like to share that are in relation to some of your
1: money experiences at all i think a part of the awareness part because um you don't, we can't start the education before there's awareness, but I think maybe I was passive or maybe my family was passive um, because there was a mindset that it's not something we worry about because like financial literacy or all that know-how or whatever is for the rich people or for people who make a lot of money and need to manage it and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. I, I think my takeaway would be that, um, whether you make ten thousand dollars a year or a hundred and ten thousand dollars a year, it's still worth having that educational piece about how to manage what you do make what what um whatever you do bring in and and align them with the goals you have for your life, you know whether they're the the big long one like retirement or home ownership or asset building and all that or um yes or just, I would really like to save up to backpack through Europe. I don't know, you know, um, I think that's probably something that helped me, um, want to learn how to to manage my own money just at all. Mm -hmm. Not, not even better, just at all. Um, because I, I have goals, right? I, I would like to take that trip or buy that thing or, um, Yes, retirement, too. <laughs> um, but uh, how much it tied to me knowing my own numbers and what they were or were not doing for me because of me. <laughs> you know, um, yes. was that yep. check going out the door because I wasn't keeping an eye on it or at, or putting it to work in different places? Or um, yes, yes, it was <laughs> for quite a while. <laughs> um, I I think that would be how I would uh, if I were trying to inspire someone to to be excited about their their money, which is could be a boring topic or something, an intimidating topic. It's like, well, what do you want for your life? Like what what are your what are you excited about for your future? You know, or like let's say like maybe I want a lavish wedding. That's great. How would you like to get there? You know, what what's your path to get to that? Um, place kind of thing that is really what turned it around for me whereas before I was I you know like the person who doesn't go to the gym right like I was I was fine you know like wasn't really complaining but at the same time you know if I thought about my longer term goal like Mm -hmm. nothing was in place to help me get there and um so that is what really sparked the interest for me Um, again, whether I was making $10,000 or $110,000, it's, it wasn't even about that. It was not about, um, it only matters if your number is a certain one or anything like that, but it's like, just what is, what is your life look like? What are your goals for short-term and long-term? And then just bring the numbers into, you know, into order, uh, to get you there. That is how I, got excited
0: about this topic cool
1: yeah honestly
0: I hear so many people say that it's intimidating because it is at first you know but I think once we realize how how much we deal with money you know if you're getting a paycheck in some way shape or form if you're getting any type of income if you're buying anything spending you have a relationship with money the only thing that may be intimidating me that may be putting that that wedge in between you and knowing the truth about your finances is really i think the fear of the unknown or the known you know maybe you realize like Yeah. I don't want to take a look at my uh, bank statement that just came in today because I know I spent a lot of money probably on things that I didn't really need. And um, I just don't want to face reality. So I'm just going to shred it. I'm going to chuck it. That's real. That's so real. Yeah. And I've lived it. So like, you know, personally me, like I know I, I would see some of my statements come in and I'm like, yeah let's not let's not open that one um we're just gonna i'm gonna cut it up throw it out shred it wherever i just don't want to see it and that's essentially too like the the best way to relate to that and and try and make it more relatable is like somebody who's trying to lose weight and you keep sneaking in like the chips and the candy and the sodas and you know that it's bad for you right but you're like that's okay you might you might do it upstairs in your room you might have a bag of chips in there just waiting for you you might have had a really good day too you know eating a lean cuisine or having some good food and then it's like you think you you try and you try and make it okay in your mind by telling yourself something you're selling yourself on a concept that maybe just doesn't really work for you You know, essentially you're eating that bag of chips in your room with the closed door and you're like, well, nobody will really know. Right. Because my door's closed. I'm at home. Maybe my husband's not home or my wife's not home. The kids aren't home. Nobody knows. Nobody's watching. Whatever. But then you step on the scale the next day and nothing that did nothing for you. You might have gained a pound, might have stayed the same, but you didn't see the results because guess what? You're 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 not letting reality sink in and I feel like a lot of us tend to kind of uh maybe like lie to ourselves a little bit or kind of tell ourselves uh a, a story and we're like trying so hard to believe it because the reality of it is just is, is just too brutal to kind of mm-hmm. uh swallow yeah and it's like
1: Oh, I feel like that that does a lot of damage at the same time. That takes a lot of mental and emotional energy to to keep up with, and the plan. You know, let's. I mean, if you start with just a budget, it's sort of permission. Like, you're allows you to have that indulgent because, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Here's my number, whether it's on the scale or whether it's what I'm taking in at the end of the month. Um, here's my number. I really, really do want that chips in the, um, well, for me, the, the thing that I just blow up my budget on is, um, <laughs> yeah. I do, oh, I do not cares. like to cook, you know, I, that's the one area that just explodes on my budget. But like, once I've, okay, here's my number, here's what I want it to do for, you know, retirement for, um, that trip I want to take later this year. God willing, but, um, and here's my bills and blah, blah, blah. And so what's left at the end of that? Um, oh, okay. Okay. So if I divide that by 31 days, that gives me so much to spend on takeout. So one, you know, the, the plan is, is in, mm-hmm. intended to take, remove that stress because, um, then I can eat the, the takeout without guilt because it's like, all right, I did the, and it wasn't even that hard of work. It was basic math. It was addition and subtraction. And um, at the end of that was a number. And maybe I don't like that number. Maybe it's only five bucks or something to, to every day or something to yeah. to spend on my, my meal. But dang it, if, if that's my number, I'm gonna go hard on my five bucks and love that sandwich or whatever I get for it. Um, so, yeah, I feel That's it though awesome. I, I, I i've done I've been there though too, and I now I see it as like, man, it cost me more in in time and energy worrying about like, oh, I know I just went all out on that shopping spree, and now right. I don't have enough to get me through the next month. Um, yes. but even just the the basic budget is is um addition, subtraction, and then. What you have at the end is like that's what what you can indulge with and um i think it's just that awareness is just not there for so many of us and um but it's 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 not as bad as i thought it would be (laughs) once you kind
0: of bite into it yeah kind of like just you're like all right you know what take my blinders off let me just face reality you know head on i feel like once i did that myself and like i unveiled myself and i'm like you know what i'm not gonna keep lying to myself like i I gotta know the numbers in order for me to make any type of improvement in my finances i have to know the truth and what's going on what is the full picture that i'm supposed to be looking at and once you take your and sometimes the numbers
1: yeah, I mean sometimes the numbers suck. Like what it like at the mm-hmm. what if at the end of my budget there's negative, you know, and I yeah. there's no money to spend on um takeout or whatever the indulgence is. Like I don't know, that's that's the stepping on the scale moment too, where you're like, Ah man, all right, I'm three hundred pounds, what am I doing about that? Um yeah. or um what am I doing about the fact that I don't have I have five let's say I have five dollars allowance to spend on takeout but I'd really like to have like $20 <sighs> all right let me let me look up another job or like let me look at the job yes. I'm currently in and and um think about it because I think attaching anything you know any of these um harder scarier intimidating projects to to our wants you know is um is a big motivating factor like absolutely what do you want um for your for your life or for your for your family's lives or um, how we get there, based on what we have now, and are you cool with what you have now or is it, wow? I, when once you really look at the numbers, I'd like to earn more or bring more into the equation. Like how are we doing yeah. that? Um, but again, yeah, tying it to the wants, like or what motivated what. My motivating factors were, at least we're tying it to, well, how do I get to that trip or how do I, you know, buy exactly. that? Exactly. And
0: thing. you can incentivize it for yourself. The thing okay. of it is, is like when we talk about needs and wants, you want to know the difference. You want to know, okay, well, if it comes down to push versus shove, am I going to keep the lights on this month or am I going to go to Outback Steakhouse this month with right, friends? Right. It's like, okay, you want to go to Outback Steakhouse, but you need to keep your lights on. And in that case, it's like, okay, your needs and wants, like, that's priorities want You got to figure out if you only have $50 and you know you're either getting your lights shut off tomorrow or you're going to go have a steak with friends, you got to choose what's going to make make your life easier and, you know, your household um, livable that's a huge thing but when it comes down to that pressure because i feel like people tie a negative connotation to budgeting and saving they're like i always hear this with clients yeah but i don't want to be too strict because then i can't get what i want and i'm like whoa whoa, whoa, let's pump the brakes here because nobody ever said that you know you're going to be locked up and you can't have anything like nobody's saying you're going to get take anything's going to be taken away the thing is, is we gotta realize how to get more strict with money. Realize what's coming in, what's coming out, because once we get a, a full picture of that, we can see. Well, hey, look! Did you realize that you're spending X amount of money on takeout, for example? Because oh, that God, used it's to so be bad. my. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like, ah, uh, that. Oh gosh, just thinking about it, I'm like, how the heck did I do that to myself? But I've had clients spend thousands of dollars a month on takeout food, and they'll still go spend like 600 to $800 on, on groceries. I'm like, well, how much food are you throwing out then if you're buying all that food from the store, but you're spending double or triple out? You know, so again, like I think it's a matter of priorities and realizing nobody's saying you can't treat yourself. If Starbucks is your indulgence every day in the morning, okay, let's make it work though. Because my motto is PYF, pay yourself first. Before you want to pay everybody else, you want to pay Starbucks, make them that billion dollar corporation richer. You want to keep buying Amazon because their your app keeps notifying you that something you looked at 2 weeks ago is on sale today <laughs> for 20% cheaper, right? Before you make that corporation even cheaper, pay your stephanie corporation pay your gemma corporation pay yourself you know pay put some money over for your kids put whatever whatever you have a uh maybe a a want to go to the islands when everything opens back up whatever it is that you want to save up for do it nobody's telling you you can't and i feel like that's a that's a negative connotation that's tied to budgeting is nobody's gonna tell you you can't do it this is essentially your budget but at the end of the day the point of a budget is to recognize where is your money going and how can you improve
1: that's hard that's hard uh, mentally because um because when you do that you know then you do see that you don't have that money to um (laughs) <laughs> to ball like that throughout yeah. the month. But at this, like, uh, yeah. It's, but it's... you made a
0: good point, though. Then you're like, all right. But then I'm trying to figure out, like, what can I do to make extra money? If you got to pick up... A lot of people right now are doing the Uber Eats, you know, um, you know Uber and Lyft. Yeah. And I forgot the Instacart now. Like, hey, if you got to do that for just, say, like an hour or two a day when you get home from your 9 to 5 or your other job, just to say, okay, like, I, I just... I want to give myself a little bit more breather room in my finances because so i want to go to mexico next year
1: right okay, right
0: make it work for you
1: yeah no the the yeah the budget is uh i i it's it should be an inspirational tool it's like all right this this is what realistically is i have to play with here in the life yeah. that i've created myself um when i was paying off my student loan and I, I looked at my numbers I, because um, I was going hard on it. I wanted to go harder, though, because it was like, the rate I'm going now, it'll take me a year to pay off. But I'd really like to cut that in half. So I got um, a job at a taqueria, like a part-time job at a taqueria that I worked after my um, full-time job. And that brought in not that much, but it still helped. And it helped me um, pay off the student loan faster. So um, There you go. Wow. I, wouldn't have known how to do that. And I would never have done it had I not sat with my own numbers and just been like, OK, fine, let's look. Like, what's what's really there on the paper at the end of the day? It's not 30, like five hundred k. like I'm spending like I have. But yeah. no, um, these are the numbers I have. Here's what I want them to do for me. I want them to get this loan off my back. Um, yes, I can do it with what I have now and this is how long it would take me i'd love to bust it out faster so um yeah i mean it's it was an inspirational tool once i you know stopped fearing it i guess um, cuz you, you know um
0: it is scary
1: yeah and and maybe you want your numbers to be higher but um then that's just a kick in the pants to be like all right let me open up the job boards and see what's what's out there for my skill set at this time covid's a weird time but like in in general you know yeah. um if i don't like the numbers i'm on the paper at the end of the month you know
0: use that as the motivation and be like hey yeah. what um i'm not happy with what i'm looking at but you also need to know the reality of what you're looking at right because if you don't know you will never know and it'll just Keep putting you into this cycle where you're just like, oh, like, I'm I'm stuck in a pile of mud again. I can't get out. It's like quicksand where you're trying to reach, reach, reach and you can't get out. You just keep sinking more. But when you take a when you take a look at it and you're like, hey, maybe it makes you upset for 30 seconds looking at it like, ooh, that's where I'm at. Yikes. Like, I thought I was going to be a little bit better off than that. That that's okay. Let that be the the fire under your butt, and say, mm, "We're gonna turn this car in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're gonna make this work. Yeah. And you know, your your story, um, picking up an extra job just to kind of pay off your student loans and ignite that fire under you. Like, hey, I want to cut these student loans out of my life. Like now, I want to get this out the way." that story in itself is a story that people like you and I need to hear more because it's possible and you may have just given somebody the the hope and inspiration that's listening to say yeah you know what I'm gonna open up that statement tomorrow I gotta take a look at what my reality is and if I gotta pick up a waitressing job bartending job you know, go drive Uber for an hour at nighttime just to make a little bit of extra pocket change to put towards my car or whatever, my savings, anything, then that's what I'm going to do. But your story right there is the reason why I enjoy doing podcasts because people need to hear real life stories. That's the only way that most humans take in information. They're like, okay, well, if this is relatable to me, and I feel like it's within my reach, then I feel more comfortable. I let my guard down and I'm like, hey, OK, this is possible for
1: me. And, you know, um, you know, when I finished paying that loan too, April 2020, when COVID uh, wow, was like a month in. So um, by April 1st, 2020, I was completely debt free. And um, it couldn't have been a better blessing for me because awesome. I work in events. And um, if you can imagine, like our event schedule went from packed, you know, university events to just nothing. And um, there there really was a moment of like, am I gonna be homeless? Because there are no events to plan because the pandemic is raging. Um, But uh, I was debt free. So I didn't have anything to worry about except just saving for a rainy day, you know? So, so the, 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 the concept of the budget became like an invitation to, to dream, you know, or to like plan my next steps. And, and my dream was, you know, fairly small. It was just, um, pay off that student loan, you know, but once it's gone, it's like, what do you want next? You know, like... Retirement kind of is its own thing, but like, I don't know, um, just an example. But like, if I were if I were to planning to have a family or something, like I would like to yeah. raise a college fund for that child or something like that. It's, the tool is meant to inspire, like want more for, or not want, yeah. but like um, dream more for your own life, you know? And then the budget is just a tool to help you get there. Just for example, one of the tools um, in the plan to help you get there. And um, yeah, again, I never would have done it if I hadn't just like looked at it and um, put all my numbers along with my expenses, debts or whatever, you know, all on a paper and said, well, can I still go to, you know, my trip or buy this thing and have this loan? No. Okay. <laughs> what needs <laughs> to happen yeah. in order
0: to have what that? Do I need you know? to fix or adjust. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, being debt free is awesome. Um, I recently became completely debt free, and it's like a weight is lifted off your shoulders. It's like, oh my gosh, like I feel so much better waking up, and you know, you get to keep more of your money uh, every month. And I'm just like, oh. No, that loan's not. That loan payment's not coming out on the fifteenth. I don't know it anymore. Like right? it's done. Yeah. So it's such a good feeling, and um, I just hope and pray that more people out there get that that fire under them and say, Hey, you know what? I want to follow their lead, and I want to be. I want to become debt free and work my way towards it. And the only way to do that is to take a look at your numbers and take a look at your budget. That's really what it
1: is yeah and just brainstorm like allow i i imagine like if for for people who are really hustling um it's it's probably not a given to just sit down and be like damn i want this i want that i want to go here i want to do that but allow your whatever your current financial situation is allow yourself that freedom to to create that that list or brainstorm and just be inspired by life in general be like, I'd love to go to wherever, um, or I'd love to whatever. And, um, and let that be the guide, you know, because you can, you can do that from whatever, whatever place you're at. It's, it Absolutely. just requires a plan, Yep, you know, a
0: timeline. Exactly. So this has been really, um, this has been a really awesome episode and I'm so glad that you uh, joined us today because you've brought, you've brought so much perspective to this topic and I completely appreciate you joining us. Now, if listeners, anybody listening, anybody, um, you know, that wants to say, hey, you know what, like I want to learn more about what Gemma does or I want to ask her some questions about, you know, how she became debt-free and they listen to your story. You know, where can they reach you at? Any social media handles? Um,
1: what's your website? Anything? Yeah, for me, uh, as an individual, I'm on Twitter at Gemma Givens, my, just my name. And um, if you want to learn more about the Guatemalan adoptee community, we are at NextGenGuate on all social media
0: awesome all right well thank you so much um, for those listening Uh, stay tuned to some great topics we have coming up for the rest of the month of April uh, for financial literacy month and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this special on minorities and money we have a lot to uh, think about and discuss as a society moving forward you know having some realization about these statistics that are factual you know out there so definitely let that sink in let all this information sink in pass it along to a friend or family member because it's the only way that we're going to move the dial on minorities closing in on that wealth gap it's the only way that we're going to move forward share the information with people you know and inspire one another and support each other because when we do that we can then take steps forward so thanks again for listening in everybody um as usual it's the two cents money podcast where we give our two cents on your two cents stay tuned for the next few episodes i promise you won't want to miss them and thank you again for your support and if you please like and share this episode you'll be supporting me all right, thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.